During the month of May, CDSW is running a listener survey to better understand how we can serve you, our listeners. Visit cdsw.com survey to have your say and be entered to win one of two Sled Island Discovery Passes. Hi, I'm Zach. Hi, I'm Erin. And you're listening to NETV Film Chats. We're film students and NETV members, and we're going to talk about some film. If you didn't know, NETV is a nonprofit TV station that teaches film production skills to anyone. It's a great place. We made most of our friends here, including, including each, each other. other. We're going to talk about film now. <laughs> episode of NUTV Film Chats, we talked to Executive Director James Demers about the Fairy Tale Film Festival. And then we're going to talk about the lost Canadian queer drama, Lilies, directed by John Grayson. We're back. It's NUTV Film Chats, and we are done school, so we're slightly less stressed, but just as unorganized. <laughs> true uh and we're at cuff this week as we're recording which will be over when it's done but we've seen a few good movies so far we have it's day three today yeah yes so we're both gonna give a 10 second review of one of the films that we've seen okay and it's gonna be fun all right (laughs) i swear so zach yes 10 second review of little monsters go Little Monsters is amazing. I mean, it's good. It's a good Australian rom-com about zombies. It has Lupita Nyong'o. She plays the ukulele and sings Taylor Swift. And there's a cute Australian child who's perfect. Okay, that was he 10 seconds. He timed it in everything. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Well, I'm going to time you, too. Okay. So we watched Her Smell last night, starring Elizabeth Moss, directed by... Alex Perry. Alex Perry Ross. Alex Ross Perry. Oh, really? Um, tell me what you think of it. No. Um, it wasn't real Riot Girls, but that's okay because Elizabeth Moss gives a performance of a lifetime, and it's amazing to see, and the music is pretty good, and Agnes Dean can get it. Amazing. <laughs> I think we did well. We're concise. We're good. Hopefully, y'all listened and maybe see those movies because they're really good. But and they'll be released yeah. out elsewhere. Yeah, those are a couple of the ones that are probably coming out pretty shortly after Cuff. Uh, but until then, what can people watch on any TV this week? Any? Or not this week, whenever they want. Yeah, yeah, whenever you want. You can watch um, the new Wilco Music Project with Audrey from Slut Profit. It's pretty awesome, yeah. and you should check it out because she's great. And we're also releasing the season finale of this uh, season of Video Vulture, where the, the boys, the vultures, are going to talk about uh, Lady Terminator films. If you don't know what those are, watch the episode check them out they always talk about bonkers stuff exactly yeah so go to youtube.com slash nutv to see those two things and more and so much more so much more but let's get into the episode starting with the interview with james demers from fairy tales film festival or is it demers we'll We'll ask him find out We're currently joined by James Demers, who is the executive director of the, what did you change your name to now? The Calgary Career Arts Society. Calgary Queer Arts Society. Amazing. Uh, and we are talking to you about the 21st Annual Fairy Tales Film Festival, which is occurring Friday, May 24th to Sunday, June 2nd at the New Central Library. Um, so for those who don't know, 
who are you? And um, <laughs> what is the Fairy Tale Film Festival? Sure. So I'm the executive director uh, and one of the programmers with the Fairy Tales Queer Film Festival, which is one of five programs that we run as an organization. The Film Festival is our longest running program. It started in 1999. And our focus of that program is to show queer narrative in ways that are not shown in modern cinema, which is always, <laughs> which <laughs> helps, makes it uh, really interesting. But also we, we have a community programming team. So we have a 15-person programming committee that's open to anyone who's interested in joining. And so we have, for six months, every single Monday, we sit down and we argue about queer film and representation and stereotypes and the, the movies that come across our desks and how does that work. Uh, and it's a really productive and interesting way to program because we have a lot of difficult conversations about, like, have we seen this queer narrative over and over? Who is it serving? Are there stories we're not hearing? How can we showcase them? And so it's, a, it's an interesting it's an interesting project every single year because the world changes, right? Yeah. The content that we get changes and the focus changes. And so we have to move with that and have discussions about it. So the most obvious new change in this year's festival is you're like moved to the new central library. So what can people expect to change? What can people expect to say the same out of the overall vibe of the festival this year? So yeah, we moved to the New Central Library. We've been doing a lot of partnership work with the New Central Library. We're the training partner on the Reading with Royalty program, Drag Performers Read Storybooks to Children, exactly what That's it sounds awesome. like. It's a delight if you get a chance to go. And so we've been developing this relationship with institutions like the New Library, and it has a couple of really phenomenal features. So the theater that we're going to be producing the festival out of is the closest thing to the front door, which makes it really quite accessible. There's a nice indoor space. Um, libraries are really the front line of public policy and public service provision. They're, they're the last free space open to the public. And so we think it's really important to be able to put art and narratives of sort of the general population and those experiences into a place that everybody can access. It seems like a really e egalitarian way to put art on a public stage. And so moving to the library made a lot of practical sense. They're good partners, but also putting that in a place that's accessible to people worked really, really well. So awesome. I think you're the first film festival in Calgary to like fully be held there. So we are. That is very cool. So you were talking a little bit about programming before, but can you take us through the process of programming? Like, how do you find the films? How do you find the films from across the world? Is it hard to find queer content? It's not hard to find queer content. It's sometimes hard to find good queer content. That's, yeah, that's the reality. Fair. And some of that, and I mean, a lot of that has to do with the reality being that queer filmmakers are not given huge budgets, right? Yeah. We can blow up every super, like Marvel superhero villain for a billion dollars that we can possibly think of down into the obscure, like extended universe. But it is really difficult to see a, a studio put a million dollar budget behind a queer film, right? You can see like examples like that are actually pretty, what I would consider sort of vanilla or like palatable to a general audience, things like Brokeback Mountain, right? Yeah. Which is not a new queer story for queer people, but for a lot of straight people, it was the first gay movie they ever saw. Yeah. And so the this interesting d development, right? Whereas, like, we have really moved beyond a place where a queer character, in order to have a story, has to die at the end. We try yeah. to move away from that in queer narratives, but you're not, you don't see that in mainstream cinema. Like, that is still sort of the denouement of most of those movies. And so, we like to challenge that idea. And it's v often very rare that there's a queer person penning those stories. And so, all the way through the creative process, we're looking for um, queer people telling queer stories from their perspective with just a different focus, sort of thing. So, applying a queer narrative lens to the way that we take in information is really important. And for our community, it's actually pretty rare to see yourself represented on screen. And so the first time that happens, that's a significant moment. Uh, and so that makes a difference. When you've never seen yourself represented in a movie, you remember your first queer film. Most queer people do because there's this moment of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. Whereas the vast majority, I think, of the public, give or take, can walk into a movie theater and see someone who they feel like represents them. And we're just not there yet. And maybe that's okay. Maybe our, our context, we deserve to be 
able to show to have control over how we show that and how we have to hold conversations around what it means. Yeah, it's probably pretty exciting to like see the trends that change and like how much queer cinema is, like changes year to year. Yeah, and heroes, right? People are getting a chance to come out posthumously or in their 80s and, and 90s or talk about what their lives actually were like in the 70s and the 60s, With the, and that's changed. But we're also in the Trump era of politics, realistically, and so it, we are in this place where we have achieved a lot as LGBT people, but that doesn't mean that we're done. And so we're that apathy is starting to be challenged for various reasons. And I think that's productive because I think we, we deserve to be reminded that we fought for rights for a reason and they get taken away when you're not looking. Totally. Yeah. And provides a lot of good filmmaking it does. points to start at. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, we're showing a documentary in the festival called Transmilitary, which is happening on Wednesday, our social justice night, the 29th. And it's this really phenomenal look at um, the U.S. military up until two weeks ago was the largest employer of transgender people in the States, full stop. Because... Often trans people could enlist in the military and receive things like health care, which they can't as trans right. people in the rest of the country. Education. It pulls people like there are lots. There are lots of people who are engaged in the U.S. military who are coming from poverty stricken backgrounds or like this is their only opportunity to manage that or develop a living wage as a trans person. And two weeks ago, 13,000 troops were fired. And so this is a significant economic shift for all of these people that we know have a difficult time being employed in the first place, let alone employed in something as sort of like ultra conservative as the military. So for that to be taken away is really difficult and whatever you feel about police and military getting making a choice about how you're going to feed your family and having that supported by your country is everybody's right yeah. regardless and so these these are issues that we decriminalized um same-sex relationships in the military in canada in 1994 in the same year that the states went the opposite direction and passed don't ask don't tell but we're still having these conversations right and so they become relevant again because we didn't hold on to the rights we had two weeks ago uh so how does fairy tales shine a light on some local queer talent so so, yeah, we did a partnership last year with an organization called Media Queer, and we showed an all two-spirit film package, which is actually a really rare thing to get put together. We had artists represented from all across North America, and we wanted this year to focus on local indigenous content and local two-spirit content in specific. And so the Treaty 7 Film Collective, there's a film aspect of it, and there's also theater work that comes out of this collective. They do incredible groundbreaking film work here in indigenous communities. And so we asked them to guest curate an entire evening on the Sunday, on the first Sunday, which is the 26th, I believe. Believe. Um, so on the, and so we have a shorts package from local artists and a couple of artists from across Canada. They're all QPOC or Indigenous identified, and and the goal of the package actually from the curator, who's one of the um, one of the people who started Treaty Seven, named her name is Danny Black. Uh, she said that she really wanted to show. She wanted to show happiness and resilience and joy and goofiness because it's really, she said, it's really, really rare often for indigenous people and people of color to see stories about themselves that aren't difficult or right. exhausting or traumatizing. And the reality is our lives are more complex than that. And, and so it's important to be able to show that. And then we're showing uh, the 20th anniversary screening of a film actually shot in Calgary called Deep Inside Clint Star by Clint Alberta. And so it's a 20th anniversary screening of that, of that movie. And we're trying to have the conversation about has a lot changed? since 1990 right. like what has changed since since this movie was made here talking about how indigenous people like are treated here and the development of that culture and so it's uh it's a really exciting night they're great partners that's super cool uh, and then you also have the Youth Queer Media Program screening. Can you talk a bit about that as well? So the Youth Queer Media Program is in its ninth year. It's one of our five programs. And so it's a program we started in September every year with Pride, applications open. And then from December through to the end of March, um, we go through a series of workshops and hands-on work with young queer filmmakers to make their first 15-minute film. Uh, and so we have two actually 20-minute films coming out of this year. Uh, and they're really, really interesting. I... 
I've been delivering fake blood to one set of performers for a couple of months now, and I know, and I've been uh, connecting animators with the other. So you're going to see multimedia. A lot of the filmmakers actually create the music for their independent films, and they do great work. Um, we've had 35 of those films over the eight years be distributed nationally, which is really exciting. So it's a great first step for young queer filmmakers, and we run it every year. So if that sounds interesting to you, then you can let us know in September. Yeah, that's so amazing that you can, as well as like showcasing queer talent, you create queer talent as well, or like give mm -hmm. give people a platform. So yeah. That's Lots of people viable. want to make a movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then finally, you have an exhibit coming up until then that people can uh, see something from the Calgary Queer Art Society. So a little should, bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're doing we're doing this project. Last year, we made a documentary about the LGBT history of Calgary as a city called Outliers, because Calgary is a statistically significant outlier in the way that we developed as a queer community. So we're different than Toronto and Vancouver, Montreal, the MTV of <laughs> the queer world. Uh, and so because of that, we wanted to highlight it and talk about the fact that we've sort of always existed here. The, the last person, for example, charged under homosexuality under the Criminal Code of Canada was a Calgary City bus driver. Like there are all these like really local, interesting things that happen in the context of it. So we were approached by the Lougheed House, which has became a museum in 2005. They're right on 13th and 5th, which is the middle of what we in the community used to call the Fruit Loop, which was the gay stroll. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they approached us to do a history exhibit. We actually worked with another artist collective who took over the house for April called the Big Kitty Crew, and they did a, an exploration of like femme identity and gender through photography in Victorian dress with drag queens. It was amazing. And then, so that, that just finished, and we're opening our exhibit on May 8th. And our exhibit is a chronological walkthrough. Uh, it's a multimedia chronological chronological walkthrough of the history of Calgary from the 60s all the way through until present day. So it starts in the 60s and moves through into the early gay bars here and drag and HIV and what that looked like. And it has artifacts and newspaper articles as well as soundscapes and video footage. So it's an interactive exhibit uh, and uh, it's actually quite interesting. And we, we've restored for the first time, there was this amazing stained glass window that used to hang above one of the historical gay bars here called the Parkside Continental. Most people know it now as Shelf Life Books on 12th. Around 13th and 4th, I believe. Yes. Um, and so the the window actually ended up being taken out of the bar when it got turned over and has been passed through the community for a number of years. And we received it when we were doing the film. Um, and so we've had it professionally restored. And so we're going to oh, wow. be showing it to the community for the first time fully professionally restored. It is original from the 1920s. So it's a miracle that it has survived this long. Yeah. Um, but we've had it professionally restored. I got to see it for the first time today. And so on the 8th, when the, when the exhibit opens, we're going to show it for the first time. What's significant? about that window is that when it was hung in the bar, it was originally hung over a boarded up window and it was never lit from behind. So everybody thought the window was black and white. And I found out today that it's not. What? <laughs> so it's been, it's, we've, we've set a lighting rig up in it and it's going to be backlit for the first time. And it is a beautiful, like fully colored original stained glass window from the 20s. It's just unreal. That is so cool. And so wow. we get to give that back to the community in this exhibit, as well as put our history on display for the first time. Because I think people have a conceptual understanding that LGBT people have had a struggle here, but I think it's rare for us to find our own history, and it's even more rare for us to display that history, because up until very recently, that's an incredibly dangerous proposition for a lot of people. Um, the vast majority of people who I would consider elders in my community now were more than adults when it was still illegal to be who they were. So it's a really powerful thing. So we're excited. There's a, and there's a bunch of events happening with it. There's the launch on the 9th. We're doing a club carousel, which is the first gay bar in Calgary, a historically fundraiser on the 17th that will involve drag queen croquet, which is exactly what it sounds like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and a DJ and a bunch of amazing performances. And there's going to be activations in the house every weekend. So if you've never been to La Heat House, this is a great opportunity. It's super gay right now. <laughs> um, and if you'd like to learn about the city, you will look at the city differently. And it's a wonderful opportunity. It's all ages. Anybody can come. The museum is free. So... 
Amazing. And mm. what are the hours for it during the week? They're open to the public from 11 till 6 every day, and then there's events on the weekend. So events happen after 6 o'clock in the evening, so if there's an event, then it's open later than that. Okay, awesome. perfect. And if people want to know more about that and the festival coming up it's calgaryqueerartsociety.com is that correct yes everything is available there all of our uh, we also all of our events are up on facebook all the films are live you can buy individually the three film pass is a great deal so if you feel somewhat ambivalent about what you want to see and you want to try two things you like and one thing you might not that's a really good way to see a film festival you always see something new and there are special events tied into whole chunks of the festival so we're doing a pride bike ride down the river on the sunday um, we have a whole bunch we're doing a, a an lgbt bands music night on the last night at the king Eddie, so there's a bunch. There's free ice cream on the last day, too, from Village. So if you're heading to the East Village, you might as well come and check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited for the festival. Thank you for coming in and chatting with us today. Yeah, happy to do it. Before we move on to the next segment, we have another movie minute with Ben, where he'll be reviewing one of his favorite Tom Hanks movies, That Thing You Do. Ben. Hi. What's everyone listening to? Uh, that thing you do, the movie minute. We're at the movie minute, and this is. Movie Ben. And what movie are we doing? That thing you do. Starring, directed, and produced, and music by. Tom Hanks. And as usual, it's another 1996 jam. That's right. Can you go more into it and tell us why what you liked, Ben? Well, that's one of the best movies that have been seen by, by, about your eyes. Oh, really? Yeah. What's your favorite part? Or favorite parts? Well, I like all scenes, so I like the music stuff and uh, and the comedy. Yeah, it's uh, it's about a uh, R and B kind of '60s band called The Wonders, right? That's right. And their their uh, summer struggle. Yeah, that's right. And I guess it does have a hit. It does have a hit cast. Uh, who's in it, Ben? Well, uh, yeah, Tom Evan Scott, Tom Hanks, Charlie Theron, Charlie Theron, Liv Tyler. Yep. And. Um, what 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 would you rate it? Well, if I was you, I I I'd call it a, a six out of five. Yeah, I would also agree, Ben. Uh-huh. Uh You have great music or great taste in movies. Thanks, Maddie. And uh, where can people watch it? Well, you can watch it on Netflix, or you want to buy it on iTunes or Cineplex. Oh, cool. Anything else you want to say about the movie? Well. If you love good movies, make sure you watch it all the time. Yeah, I have to agree. I'll be watching it tonight, Ben. Alright, enjoy. Thank you. Bye. This is the Movie Minute with... Ben, and we love you guys. Thank you. So we've been real bad with, like, actually naming our segments of this show within the show. We're forgetful. We're forgetful, but we usually just, like, talk about what we want to talk about because we get so excited. But we're going to do the segment called Hidden Gems. And we're going to talk about a true hidden gem this time called Lilies, which is a queer Canadian drama from 1996 directed by John Grayson. Not John Grierson, who's also Canadian director. It's confusing. It's very confusing. It was very brave of you to come here today. I'm about to commit the sin of revenge. So the kind of complicated plot of this movie is a bishop visits a prison to give a prisoner kind of a final confession before 
he dies. Um, but it's actually a trap. And this prisoner is an old friend named Simon. 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 And uh, he's orchestrated a performance, like a, a play, cast with like the, all the prisoners as the cast to reenact a past event that happened in their lives as as kids. So, or like as young young men. Y- young men. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he traps the priest inside of like the the confession booth. He's forced to watch his past reenacted by. These prisoners, these hooligans, uh, and it's like this play within a play thing. And everyone is, all the performers are men, so there's a lot of female characters that are like performed in drag by the men. It's very interesting, gender gender performativity, and uh, the the formal elements of it are very yeah. interesting. Of like the construction of the past through this kind of performance within the film is. Also very interesting to talk about. Yeah, but it's what kind were of your, insane. Well, yeah, it's, it's very, it's like not convoluted, but it's like. It takes a while for your, to wrap your head around what's going on. Yes. Because it's like you have to come to terms with like, oh, that's not them in the past. Those are like prisoners Playing. pretending to be them yeah. in the past. So there isn't a great resemblance between the older no. and younger versions. And that um, was really confusing. And I had to look up who was who. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair. I was glad that I watched this on a screen in my Canadian cinema class that I had this year. You missed that class. I watched it on YouTube this morning. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it, I like I was surprised because I'd never heard of this movie before in my life. And it's like a very beautiful, like forgotten queer love story. Yeah. Slash revenge story. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's incredibly dramatic in ways that I'm very much about. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It's pretty wild. There's, yeah. And yeah, some scenes are set like in the prison and then others are like they're in a forest. They're at a home and so it kind of goes back and forth between the two and that's interesting it's very fluid yeah like, and then at points like the like simon and the bishop are in the like exterior scenes yeah and that's kind of cool like it kind of seamlessly transitions from like the literal space of the prison to yeah the kind of imagined past yeah where they're actually outside um and it's like, yeah, formally very fluid in that way. And mm-hmm. like, a, it's like kind of reflects the the postmodern nature of queer cinema, yeah. which is very cool. It's like just kind of transitions back and forth yeah. unpredictably. It like it's based on a play, but it felt very much like a play. Yes. Like I could see it in my head, like on a stage. Exactly. Yeah. But I think... The cinematic choices that were made added to it a bit, yeah. Like with the whole like transitioning between all of the spaces and stuff, I think that was pretty cool. And the transitions are very like reflexive, like aware of like the film form, like yeah. The the whole like apparatus of him sitting inside of the confession booth, looking out through a window is kind of yeah, like, like the like idea a of cinema screen, yeah. And it's like a rectangle. And he's too. kind of trapped to have to watch this thing so it's like he's yeah it's kind of like plato's cave if you're familiar with the oh, film plato's theory cave. throwback if you're not uh, it's basically just like a and i'm not gonna get do into not it. explain no, plato's cave. but i'm not gonna do it but it's basically just you're in a dark room watching a screen and it's just happening to you and you can't tell like reality from yeah uh from what's happening on the screen so mm-hmm. there's a lot of reflections 
yeah in the film yeah like there's this one part i think it's like a some sort of religious painting type deal and then i think it's the young bishop's face is reflected in it and i think that was a oh yeah i really liked that shot mirroring kind of doubling yeah kind of suggesting of a duality within him of like the religious side and then the side that isn't so pure and wholesome that we find out later in the film yeah it's very like rooted in quebecois catholicism yeah and like small town notions of uh mm-hmm. of purity i guess and guilt yes like yes. catholic guilt <laughs> yeah there's a lot of uh a lot of self what's the word self-loathing and like uh so, internalized homophobia yeah going on yeah especially because it sets place in like 1912 totally, like the yeah. younger part yeah and then it's like 1950 something and i thought the performances were actually really excellent with uh all the men playing playing women playing women and like you kind of like forget like about gender Those like were, this movie yeah. just throws gender out the window that was almost my favorite part yeah it's like the the men playing women in with very interesting takes yeah on both like, sides like yeah the, so yeah they're talking about valier who uh simon had romance with that's like the central romance of the movie and valier's mother is i think like one of the best performances in the movie they're insane yeah yeah they look like francis mcdormand (laughs) like like a francis mcdormand drag it was like somebody did francis francis mcdormand on snatch game exactly that's it (laughs) and like their character is like ridiculously compassionate and like yeah like queer ally mom of 1912 yeah and i think that's only believable because they're played by a man i feel like if it was played by a a woman i'd believe it less yeah like i'd buy into it less yeah because of the time yeah i am in love with simon don't be ashamed i i thought you would be shocked i wanted to hear it from your lips One must never confuse nobility and love. State of the mind and a state of the soul. And the mother character is played by Brent Carver, who I've never heard of before, but uh, he gives an excellent performance. Very believable. Like, there's some very dramatic turns that this character takes, and and, uh, the performance of the mother just, like, makes it so like heart-wrenching and like didn't really pull me out of the movie which was weird because in any other film i think i would be like why is this happening why is this character making this decision it was jarring at the start yeah they just kind of come out of nowhere they do they like are a very different kind of character for that time yeah another performance that was really good was uh alexander chapman playing lydianne who's like uh, a countess kind of yeah that tempts that, that tries to make this story heterosexual well Simon kind of wants to seem like he's exactly straight yeah. with her, and then she ends up resenting him quite a bit because yeah. she can see through him. And that actor actually plays a lot of drag queens. Oh no way! Yeah, I was I was looking up, and they play a lot of drag queens and like gender bending kind of performances. Oh, cool! So they had a good quote that we were both like, 
remarked yeah. on. I'm stupid and silly. I'm in love. From now on, I shall know. Love is the worst of lies that one can tell oneself. They had banger quote after banger quote. I'm gonna get that tattooed onto my self. So good. So, yeah, like, this has been kind of a scattered episode, but I think it's really worth watching because it's available on YouTube and Vimeo legally for free. For free. Yeah, and, uh, I don't know, it's really, I, I've never heard people talk about John Grayson before. No. Uh, I had to watch it for this class, so... A very interesting queer director who's Canadian. Yeah. And, like, this film was, like, really acclaimed when it came out. Like, it... It won a bunch of genies. And it screened at, like, Sundance and got really good reviews from there. So... Nice. Yeah, I, I think it's been forgotten by history, which is not fair, because we... Yeah. I don't know, people... Other than, like, Xavier Dolan, who is like, my films aren't queer films, they're just films about people. Uh, <laughs> we don't really have a, a much queer film that I can think of that, like is renowned outside of Canada, even like within Canada, because we don't watch our movies for some reason. That's a rant for another day. Yeah, watch Lilies. Do it now, it's on YouTube. Yeah, in preparation for watching some more queer films at Fairy Tales Film Festival. Exactly. Thanks again for listening to NETV Film Chats. We had a gay old time. We sure did. And thanks again to James Demers for coming in and chatting about the Fairy Tales Queer Film Festival, which you should definitely go to. Just a reminder, it takes place from Friday, May 24th to Sunday, June 2nd. And uh, you can go to CalgaryCareerArtsSociety.com for more info. We'll be at the, the new Central Library. And we're taking a bit of a break over the summer, so... Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned to NETV's uh, YouTube to find out, see what we're doing over the summer. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming up, so you're not going to want to miss it. Yeah. Social medias. Go follow them. Enjoy the sun. Enjoy the movies. Go to the Fairy Tales Queer Film Festival. Bye. Bye.